when I was a little lad, uh, after tea in the evenings, I would have to let my dinner go down. Apparently that was what my mum and dad thought was the appropriate thing before I went running around the streets and yelling and shouting. You have to let your dinner go down. And so I would have to go and sit on the, on the couch. And the rules was, it was ten minutes. Ten minutes, sit on the couch. If I put my foot on the floor, it all started all over again. And back to the beginning, and of course, I, I struggled with this whole thing because I've always been quite impetuous and quite driven. And so it would be as if the clock just went, ran backwards. Um, and so I'd be, how long left? How long left? How long left? And I found no matter how long I'd been there, it was always the same answer. Five minutes. Uh, and when you're that age, you can't really tell the time very, very well. So I was, um, how was I supposed to tell the time? And my mum would come up with a stock answer. It was this. It's the same length as a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Do you remember the old Tom and Jerry cartoons? For those of you of the right age, they used to show it at about 10 to 5 to 6, just before the news, uh, and most evenings. And so I would judge my life relative to Tom and Jerry cartoons. And I love Tom and Jerry cartoons. We're into Looney Tunes in our house, but we love, I love Tom and Jerry cartoons. And it was my first encounter as to what it meant to die. Have you noticed there's an awful lot of death in Tom and Jerry cartoons? So Tom and Jerry and, you know, um, Tom Cat is chasing Jerry Mouse and invariably the story or the line of story would end with either a piano, an anvil or a bulldog um, and it was always Jerry Mouse getting away but Tom um, getting splatted, you know, you got this, so his head would come out the shape of an anvil or the piano and his teeth would have piano keys in between the teeth or the bulldog would just rip his skin off and he'd tootle off sort of trying to hide his personal bits. But then the next bit came, which was when it was really bad towards the end of the cartoon, having been beaten up with anvils, pianos, bulldogs, he would finally be dead. And can anybody remember what would always happen next? His spirit with a smile and little wings on the back and a harp and he would slowly float up to heaven with his body down, down below, sort of grabbing him desperately, trying to pull him back down. Don't go to heaven! Don't go to heaven! It's bad! You just sit on clouds and play harps. And as quite a young um, child at that time, that quite tainted me. It made me pretty sure that if there was one place I didn't want to go, it was near God. So having been somewhat abused by Tom and Jerry cartoons and somewhat confused by Tom and Jerry cartoons, I'm really quite thankful for an alternative picture that is being put here, as we can see, by Revelation chapter 11, verses 14 to the end. I'm going to read it again. You don't find anybody here going, please come back and let earth carry on as it is. Verse 14. The second woe has passed and the third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give, you, give thanks to you Lord and God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, 
and your saints and those who reverenced your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. That is a picture of what happens at the final trumpet blast. You'll remember if you've been with us that a series of blasts like warning calls, declarations, proclamations have gone out across the world saying, wake up, because one day the Lord will wrap all this up. He has delegated a measure of autonomy, a measure of letting you have a go on your own, of of letting Satan have a go, He has allowed you lot to let the desires of your heart run wild, although he called you against it. But a point is coming when he will remove that privilege and he will exert his kingdom rule. And my biggest problem is, having watched Tomcat or just being engaged in life in this world, I read that and I think, wow! But not today, Lord. Wow! But let let me live a little bit first. Lord, I want to walk my daughters up the aisle. I I haven't run a marathon yet. I'd like to do that. Um, Somebody owes me money. I'd like to get that back in first. So my biggest problem, and perhaps it's yours, is as we read and as we listen to this, we'll say, this sounds great. But the fact that we want it to be in the future and not now tells us something about how wonky our vision and our eyes can be. My guess is that the people who first heard this letter didn't have those problems. Do you remember what they were going through? They were in a, a point in the, under the influence of the Roman Empire where to be a Christian meant hardship, struggling, marginalised, quite often physical persecution even to the point of death. it would have been made known to them that their kind were not wanted around here. They would have been on the receiving end of little scallies, chucking rocks at them and making jokes of them. And that is incredibly hard to endure. They would have been desperate for the Lord to come and vindicate them. But we, and this is a blessing, we are currently at a period where there is a lull, a lull in the fighting against God here in our country and it's much more subtle. Oh, things are changing and things are turning around and sooner or later it will get even more overt. We're merely at the point now where people want God off off their Christmas cards, off their shopping list, out of their bank account, out of their bedroom and out of their politics. But what happens when the Christians keep speaking? What happens when you and me keep saying, oh, Jesus is one day coming back and you need to make ready to meet him. This is his world, don't you know? And sooner or later the temperature will get turned up and it will be more difficult for us. And my guess, my guess is that at that point, I'll need to come back and preach this again, won't I? And rather than saying, not till tomorrow, not till the day after, but today, Lord, please come. I cannot wait for that great and marvellous day when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. So I'm not going to go long today. I just want to look at three or four or five, depending on how much time we've got, three or four or five reasons why it will be so good and why it will make a difference to us if we take it on board. Okay? Right, the very first one, very simple. Uh, Let's just read that verse 15 again. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, and these are probably, for those of you who remember, the four... Uh, living creatures, those mighty heavenly beasts, uh, yelling out, saying, right, now, we don't know why it's 
then and not then or then, but the Lord does and he sets that, but now enough is enough. No more second chances. No more suffering and difficulty for my people. No more Satan running amok. Now I'm coming to take over. And many of us have prayed that, haven't we? Do you remember the prayer? Of course you do. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see? And that's what's about to happen. On that great day, at the moment, well, at the moment we have a choice. And the Lord dignifies us in our humanity with a response. Will we willingly, joyfully, keenly, quickly accept Jesus as our Lord and King? But a day is coming when he's saying, all choices are done. No second chances. Have you responded to my Saviour, the Lord Jesus? I suppose you could call it a hostile takeover. It's not here and it's not now at the moment because it's not actually wanted. I was trying to think of a good example of this as to what happens when the true king isn't wanted and then comes back again. Well, I got the first bit right. So what happens when the true king isn't wanted? Well, I'm thinking about a time a few years ago when I bought, um, for Christmas, I got Amy a a radio-controlled car. Cool. A little jump buggy that sort of, you know, you, you press the button, you hold the thing there, press the little thing, and it goes flying over this and that, and does jumps and does splits and does all that kind of thing. Uh, but of course it was quite a powerful motor, and Amy at the time was about five or six or something like that. So we charged at the batteries, oh, give me a go, give me a go, give me a go. Shall I take you out? And I, no, let me have a go, let me have a go, give me, give me a go. I took her outside, and I sort of stood with her in front of me, and I had my hands on the controls, and she had her hands on the controls, and... She's like, yeah! And I'm sort of helping her control it, and you can see the temperature rising inside of her. Daddy, I want to do it myself. He shouldn't have. Let's do it a little bit more. Push it a little bit here. Push it a little bit. We're doing it around the garden, nice and neat, nice and neat, just about in order, nothing smashed, nothing broken. Daddy, it's mine. Let me be in control. Give me a go! Okay. Okay, I stood back, glint in her eye. Got it now, she thinks. Touches the control. Smash! I can't remember what we destroyed, but it was just about everything. The car went wild, and then I think came back, flipped over a few times, come back and chased her halfway around the garden, and nearly killed her. Why? Well, I suppose you could put it this way. That's just me and Amy. You can't do that with the Lord. If you say, Lord, hands off the controls, this is mine, I want my way, I'm in charge of me. What happens is that creates carnage. It creates hell. It creates hell now in your own person. You were never supposed to be running your life on your own. It creates hell in your family. A whole stack of people all saying, this is all about me, I want my way. That tends to come out on Christmas morning and by the middle of Christmas afternoon we're ready to kill each other. It creates hell in our communities, everybody's out to get what, what they can get. It issues in cruel judgmentalism, it issues in um, thievery, it issues in violence, it issues in people not looking after each other like they could do and they should do. But ultimately, it issues in eternal hell. Because you cannot, you cannot say, Lord, hands off to the Lord of the universe. You see, to do that is to dishonour him. To do that is to rob him of his rightful glory. It's to say, I can do better than the true and living God. In his world, I'm made, but he's going to get in line with my agenda. 
It messes us up when we say, I'll believe the lies of Satan who says, God, you don't love me, you don't care, and you don't know. And so when we run out of control, when we try and run our own kingdoms, whether it is on a national level, whether it's on a global level, whether it is just a couple of kids squabbling in the playroom, it breaks stuff. When we do our kingdom building, the Lord is dishonoured and stuff gets smashed. But part of the problem is, is we don't really view ourselves as enemies of God, do we? We just get on and build our kingdom and say, live and let live. Lord, you keep out of my business and I'll keep out of yours. And so we don't view ourselves as God's enemies, although that is the definition of an enemy. But then again, we do have to face up to the fact that we are an enemy. And if you doubt that, I suppose it's very easy to think about it. Imagine if the king comes back and says, do you know what, I'm retaking my kingdom. I'm coming back to bring mercy and grace, and I'm going to reclaim my kingdom. Would you surrender to him? Would you say, here you are, Lord, take me as I am? Or would you do something different? Because the Bible tells us that the king did come to issue in his kingdom rule, didn't he? He came in bringing signs and evidences of what his kingdom rule looks like. He banished sickness and illness. He liberated people who were trapped and enslaved and demised and despised. He started speaking truth and demolishing the lies of the devil. He drove out evil spirits. He set people free. And did we say, Lord, I surrender? No, what we did we took him, we tortured him, we choked him, we nailed him to a tree, we said, get out. We're kings of us, thank you very much. So really, on one level, I'm beginning to wonder why it is that they're so excited. Why are they celebrating? Why are they celebrating that this king has come? Well, it's because of what happened when he was on that cross. Because as we know and we say again and again and again, but dare we ever forget it, the value of it, what we say week in and week out is there Christ said, I'm going to stand in your place and take what you deserve for your kingdom building, your defiance, your treachery and your treason. I'm going to go and die the death of a rebel in your place. I'm going to pay the price for your sin and I'm going to break the power of sin to control you now and your destiny. I'm going to defeat Satan and his lies will be cast down. I'm going to defeat him so that one day, by right of what I have done, I can rightly come back and claim the title deeds to the universe that I have made and created. And I want you to be a part of it. I don't want to give you over to what you've asked for. I love you too much to let you have that. Come back willingly, joyfully, into my kingdom. And so we're seeing the point at which decisions will be exposed. I know sometimes if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you think, hold on, is the dream ever, ever going to come to pass? Well, I just wonder whether you notice in verse 16 there. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was, sorry, sorry, who is and who was, and what we expect him to say next from studies in the book of Revelation. Let me say it again and see what's missing. The one who is and who was and who is to come. That's usually the bit that gets said, but it's missing there. Why? Because he has come. This is being stated as if it's an absolute certainty. This is not, oh, maybe it will. 
So that the times when all the dreams are crushed, we think maybe he's not going to... No, it will happen. The Lord Jesus will come back and draw his people to him, establish his kingdom. And he will flatten all those who stand against him and oppose. They will be judged. Notice that it's us who are angry at God first. And we rage against him. And then the Lord puts those who will not submit to his, his gracious redemption. He puts those in their place. So the first reason this is good is because God's kingdom will come. second reason why this is amazingly good is what found in verse 16 there. You can see them absolutely flawed by worship. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. There is nothing dutiful here. This is an overflow of genuine joy. This is not Tomcat desperately, come back, come back. I know one day I've got to play the harp, but I don't really want to do it because that's much more fun than that. Now this is joyful abandon them, just bowing down and saying, whoa! I suppose they get in a privileged position. It's because of what they can see and what they have seen done that makes them celebrate in this way. And my question for us is, is that what we bow to as well? And I think we get really exposed by this. I know I do. What do we bow to? What do we get floored by? Is it the work of God and the promise of the future that he gives to us? Or is it something else? I came across a quote uh, this week by a guy called Peterson. He says, and he's an American, so he doesn't say retail park, he says shopping mall. So forgive me. We live in a shopping mall, into one shop after another, seeking joy and fulfilment, and, uh, and it being punctuated only with ditches of euphoria and disappointments. I noticed that they've started singing the Christmas songs already. And in the Casey car, Daddy is not the Grinch, but he has banned Christmas songs until the start of December. Why is that, you may say? Is it because he can't take Slade anymore? I like a bit of Slade. I like a bit of Silent Night. I like a little bit of Santa Claus is coming to town. But you know something is wrong in a culture. You know that we are depressed and miserable and unsatisfied when the Radio 1 DJs have to say, come on people, let's get in the mood, let's pick ourselves up and sing, blah, 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 blah. It's because we know that the things in this world don't truly satisfy and we're desperate for something to water our souls. And here we're being told what it is. Here's the one who ultimately can satisfy. And the problem for you and me, even if we're believers, what we will quite often do is we will medicate against the frustration, the difficulties and the disappointments by looking for something within this world to satisfy us now. Oh, we all find it, and usually they're not bad things, they're usually quite good things. But when they're ripped away from us, we feel empty and lost. But the Lord here doesn't offer us something inside of this world. He offers us something outside of this world. He offers us something that genuinely is worth bowing before, because unlike all those other things that we worship, it does truly satisfy, and it will never, ever let you down and go away. This is the promise of God that we will be with him for eternity and that he will conquer and overcome. I suppose the only other reason I can see that we would be cold towards this 
is because sometimes, and maybe it's because you've grown up around church, or maybe it's because you come in week in and week out, after a while, we get a sense of entitlement, don't we? And we've got that written all over our culture at the moment. It's why some people are in such, such a mess. It's because they seem to, to live with a sense of entitlement. I deserve, don't you know? What these creatures could see here was that nobody who was on the receiving end of this blessing was entitled to anything. But because of the abounding graciousness and love and abundant warmth of God, even towards people who would by their own choice be his enemies, they've got it. There's no sense of entitlement here. Have you noticed a little child at the breakfast table or at the lunch table or even on Christmas Day, when they have a sense of entitlement, are they quick to say thank you? No. Are we quick to praise and thank the Lord? No. Because we've got a sense of entitlement. But when you know you don't deserve, you cannot earn, it has been given to you by outrageous grace, what's the approach? Praise. Worship. Bowing. Surrendering. Wanting more and more and more. And that's why heaven will not be a boring place. Because the Lord will be lavishing his abundant grace upon those who would have been his enemies. And we will finally see it clearly and rejoice. So we'll be floored by worship. That's why it will be so good. Next one, thirdly, we'll be, we'll be given rewards. I think this is amazing. If you look down, let's read it again. Look down, we'll read from verse... Uh, halfway through verse, or is it verse 17? Yeah, start verse 17, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for your judging the dead. And for doing what? Somebody read that for us. And for... Brilliant, thank you. Did you spot that there? We, if we're his people, get rewards. If I came and said, Michael, you've won the lottery, do you think you'd be sitting there chewing your fingernails? No, you'd be doing what you just did. Right, if I said you were going to get another 150 years of perfect health and all the money and all the nice stuff and all the jewellery and everything you get, would you be sitting there going, don't know about that? Would we... Rewards! Now listen, when my girls get a reward off me, which isn't very often, it's pretty much the best they can hope for is a Capri's whisper. And right now, that's, sort of, that's about the only thing that I've said the whole morning that's perked at Catherine's interest, and that's okay. That's okay, I can understand, we know where she worships, but that's fine, okay, I'm guilty too. But do you think... Oh, I don't know, I, I want to get this across to you. Listen, we have appetites for things. We have appetites to be with God, and depending on which tradition of, of Bible reading you come from, some people think there will be specific rewards because of how you've taken and used what God has given you, and some people say the reward here is God himself. I tend towards that one. The reward is we get to be where God is, but the important thing is that it is described as a reward. I am greedy for rewards. My kids are greedy for rewards. It's okay for you lot to be greedy for this reward. He's not going to come to you and me and say, Oh, will you stop wanting so much from me? I mean, talk about... What? 
Hij was nog van de woordkolen. Who rings me on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching? Yeah, Alan. I couldn't agree more. Take him out, whack him with a stick. Right, he now has his phone on silent. That's the reward I get for not turning it off. Yeah, I'll put it on silent next time. Bless you. Is he going to be angry with us if we pursue rewards from the Lord God? I don't know what your picture of the living God is, but he is not a miser. He's not the sort of person we have to wrench. He, the Bible reports that he is abounding in love and mercy and generosity. We're the problem is that we don't go and ask. And here is the promise that he will give rewards. He's not going to start moaning saying, Oh, you lot, I wish you weren't so demanding. You're so high maintenance, you know. He wants us to come and enjoy the fullness of all that by redemption he has won for us. And so I remember taking my kids when it was Mark and Emma's wedding down in London. We, we went down and we walked into Hamley's. You know the Hamley's toy shop? Oh, wow. Oh, wonderful. And of course, as a parent, I can see through the sham and the false advertising that is stuffed cuddly toys. But they couldn't. Oh, wow. Sometimes we've had the privilege of going to Alton Towers and you go jump on the monorail and it takes you in through the gates and you've got these people who get paid to smile all the time and they play the happy music and you're supposed to skip down the central street and wow, this is amazing. This is a reward. Do you think the Lord doesn't know how to do better than Hamlet's and Alton Towers? There will ne- this is one thing you will never hear in heaven. Is that it? You won't hear that. When the Lord comes back and issues his kingdom, you'll be like, I can't take any more of this bliss! End it, Lord! You're going to kill me or something! I can't take it anymore! The abundance of his generosity and his love and his grace. What was Tom Cat thinking? Listen, if you get called home early, jealous. I'm jealous. Do we believe this, people? This isn't just some sort of, oh well, second, you know, sort of, I may have told you this before, when we see somebody who dies, I don't know, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their teens, we call it a tragedy. And whenever death does enter in, there is something cruel and wicked about that. Because death is our enemy. But if that person's a believer, it is not a tragedy. The Lord in his wisdom has decided to save that person the misery of living in a world that is broken and tainted by sin and has called them home to an everlasting, undying kingdom where all they say is, Lord, wow! You won't find a believer at the age of 15 who has had one second in eternity going, I want to go back there. And of course we grieve and we mourn when death comes knocking. But this is the kingdom for which the Lord died to get us there. That's how valuable it is. That's how worthy it is. That's how worth celebrating it is. He's going to reward you if you are his. He's going to reward even me. I know most of you don't want to give me a reward, but he does. I like him more than I like you lot. He wants to give me a reward. And he wants to reward you too. 
I said I'd go short today rather than go long, and for once, even though cost chortled when I said it, I do want to go short, so I'm going to wrap up quite soon. Listen, what this tells us here is that there is no refuge from this king when he comes to retake his territory. It will be a hostile takeover. But there will be no rescue from and no refuge from this great king when he comes to establish his kingdom. There is refuge in this king. Do you see that? And that's what he beckons you and me to do. He beckons you and me to say, Lord, I may have to wait, I may not meet you until I have died and you call me home, but I might meet you when you return tomorrow, and any which way I want your kingdom rule at work in me now. I believe you, Lord, when you say that you rule and Jesus wins and I can hold on. At those times when I feel injustice is pressing in against me, or I feel just that... that the vanity of this world, it sucks me away. I know you will keep me. I know that you are more precious than anything else here. Lord, I want to turn away from respecting things in this world more than I should. I want you to be my king. And there's going to be times, you know, for us as believers, we're going to have a real lust for approval from this world. We're going to want people who don't know Jesus to really respect us, to look up to us, to esteem us will be worried about being judged by them. But this bit of the Bible says they should be worried about being judged by us and our Lord. So have you surrendered and are you surrendering to the kingdom of our God now whilst we can? Because the fullness is coming soon. Let's pray to God.